0: And we're back again, Rogue Table Talks. Happy number to talking to you. Number happy, happy seventy-six. Seventy-six.
1: Yes. I'm... Yes.
0: Patriotic number. It is, is it. Seventeen
1: seventy-six.
0: Yes. Right. Uh, and so, on this, uh, as we approach election day in a pandemic and the end of all things. <laughs> The end I of civilization
1: know, is nigh. You know it. That's right. <laughs> yes. It's the end of the world as you know it. A meteor might be a blessing. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. 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 Uh, the,
0: uh, 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 I can't, there's a guy I read, uh, he's a political writer and he's sort of, uh, you know, he talks about the blessed meteor of death. Like that's what he's hoping for. <laughs>
1: It's like you got the sick horse <laughs> and you're like, I hate to do it, but let's go out back.
0: <laughs> yes, welcome to 2020, people. Uh but in all of that, uh, we are in a bigger story. And uh it's uh comforting, helpful to talk about the bigger story, uh, even as the immediate story isn't so isn't so cool, uh always. And uh and we're going to talk about this encounter, and I, you know, often we sort of introduce a topic and talk about it a bit, and maybe relate it to the passage or something. And in this case, it's this encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well, and um, it's sort of a seamless story that plays out, uh, seamless sort of vignette. And uh, I just thought it's probably better for us just to read it, and then. And then react to it because there's a lot that kind of goes on and it's, it's hard to read part of the story, I think, uh, and talk about it. So uh, I think I'm going to do that without further ado. It's from John chapter four, and it's Jesus going through Samaria, encountering this woman uh, at the well. Uh, John four, starting in verse four, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? Jesus asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So it's a remarkable story. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot going on. And um, I don't know. There's probably some things setting historical that probably help us that we probably need to cover to sort of lay the groundwork to I don't know. Understand some other things, so I don't know. What are a few of those things that kind of need to understand about the story to get to what it's kind of talking about?
1: Yeah, um, I think one of those is going to be the racial, ethnic tension, uh, theological tension between Jews and Samaritans, and um, you know, I think we could we could sp- we could go spend a lot of time on that to try to help us understand. But the, just a brief thought would be when the Jews uh, were conquered through uh, Syria, Babylon, and then they were returning to the land, not everyone returned to the land. Some stayed, they intermarried, they were considered half-breeds, they became Samaritans, and they worshipped in different places, and they were thought to contaminate um, you know, theologically. Uh, ethnically. And so, you know, the rabbis at that time had a saying, you know, you you become unclean if you walk in the shadow of a Samaritan, you know, type thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty a, harsh. It's pretty intense, pretty, you know. It's pretty harsh, yeah. I don't want to yes. say it's a one-to-one for the racial tension today, but you might could imagine something like that.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, it's a different history, and therefore there's probably different aspects of it. But there's the sense in which, I mean, contaminate is an interesting word that you said where they are more than just like them uh, because you know the Philistines were them or the Hittites mm-hmm. were them mm-hmm. you know instead of the us it's they were sort of extra hated because they were half-breeds they were kind of failed Jews maybe as a as a way to or you know, or, you know a Jews that had betrayed the true belief and the true people and whatever they were impure. Uh, and yeah, the idea that you'd be contaminated by them. Uh, you know, there was, you know, the Gentiles were excluded, but the Samaritans were hated right. and just um, like in a, in a real visceral sort of sense. Um, and openly, I mean, it's not like it would say, you know, they didn't have to worry about implicit bias or anything like that. Right, right, right. It was it was very explicit. Uh and you know, uh it, you know, explained theologically in a sense as you said. Mm-hmm. Um so they were others. They were the other um so there's that whole dynamic um and of course it, she says not only that you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. You know, like why it's just stranger even speaking to me. Um, And so I think, you know, in terms of understanding and maybe things that we can draw out of all of that, I mean, I do feel like there is a sense in which that dynamic is not exactly, you know, reproduced here. Uh, And, but it is, echoed or mirrored, I think, in a lot of relationships. So, it's not even just the racial uh, issues, but even uh, theological divides or political divides, like we almost have uh, more more hatred, more vitriol, more emotion around people who are different from us, but have some sort of connection to us Mm -hmm. than people who are completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was yeah, reading so a story go, go ahead,
1: ahead. Well, uh,
0: just, I mean, I wanted to ask, I wanted to uh, illustrate that point by saying I was reading a story of this this guy was writing on this very thing and he said, uh, you know he was a person of the left, political left. And when Osama bin Laden died when he was killed, um there was this sort of sentiment on the political left. well, we shouldn't it's the death of a human being. You know, we shouldn't celebrate. We shouldn't, you know, enjoy it. We shouldn't take glee in the death of a human being, even though he harmed a lot of people and so on. So it was sort of this sort of high-level meta view of it. Uh, And this person actually was living in England at the time. And then Margaret Thatcher died. And all the same people, Margaret Thatcher being a conservative leader in Britain, all the same people were throwing parties dancing straight ding dong the witch is dead Mm. and to openly taking glee in someone someone's death who in some sense in in 20 senses was way more similar to them than osama bin laden was. right right and so there's this connection this proximity that produces this sort of higher level of emotion and hatred and whatever than just like i said i mean the jews were in love with the philistines either but it was like a whole different
1: mm. level of thing and i think that plays out in our in our world as well mm-hmm. that's a good point and you're so if it's someone that's so far different than us we almost can be indifferent about it like you know yeah, we about yeah we have perspective actually yeah, i mean what they're saying I about a lot is
0: is somewhat true yeah i mean we shouldn't take glee and you know whatever um and you know therefore you can have grace for some people or therefore you might you know but when it's somebody closer and you can just i think you can transport that to a family member or mm-hmm. to, right yeah uh i just think we're that so uncon like we don't decide to do that. It just I think that's how we right. That's how we respond.
1: Yeah. Um is it, I don't know if it was Gottman in his marriage research or or maybe somebody else that's like, you know, you divorce over 10% or 20% of, of your differences. Like you agree, you have so much in common, so much common ground, but then this 10 to 20% it just becomes all you can fixate on. So what you, yeah. 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 You, you transport that into this conversation is, you know, with Margaret Thatcher, who, mm-hmm. a, a person of that country, a yeah. person who's a, probably right. somewhat because of the same language, person, right? right. Not a terrorist.
0: Right. Went to the same university kind of love, You know, it's just, it's an interesting, they're just different politically. Mm -hmm. And so it's so, yeah, it's almost the 80% in common makes the 20% difference way worse. Um, So I do think that's something it would be good for us to think about, because I do think that drives a lot of the political emotion uh, in our country. But in this case, there's a shame, like there's definitely a greater and lesser situation. Mm -hmm. It's not just two equals, you know. Like it, there's a sense of
1: shame. Like, I wonder if it's more so. It's difficult for us in the West, but in a Eastern context, the shame context uh, with it, considering the like the caste system in India. Like it just, it's we. I could never understand what it's right. like to. Yeah. You're stuck in this, and it's, and nothing can change it, and you didn't do anything really to put yourself there.
0: Right you were born into this situation and then people are going to respond to you for your whole life based on that. Yeah. 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 Um, And so that kind of is set up for then the actual conversation, which I think there's a lot for us to think about in terms of how do we have an encounter with the other and uh, you know, what is our, attitude or approach about encountering people who are other than us, different from us. Uh, Because you see a number of things here. Like one of the things I think is Jesus doesn't avoid it. Like, you know, a lot of people would have gone around Samaria to go from point A to point B. Um, So he doesn't avoid it. He doesn't insulate himself from people who are, this is true throughout his whole life. He, uh, I don't know if he's seeking it out, but he's not avoiding it. And I do think, do you think we avoid those or, you know, explicitly or implicitly?
1: Both. Yeah, both. It's, uh, you know, you imagine walking around, like it if you're walking past a person in a store or, you know, you're going to have to make eye contact with someone that doesn't live your type of lifestyle. I think that's another layer that we haven't touched on is she uh, is also, she's also a woman, but she's also coming in the middle of the day. So she's an outcast in her own community. Yeah. The moral outcast in her own community. So there's like three layers for her <laughs> of strikes right. against her. So, you know, she, she, she's an immoral person, considered an immoral person, can't keep a life together. She's drawn well in the middle of the day. So all this shame. And yeah, I think we tend to go around for multiple reasons. One of them is interesting at the very end Jesus isn't concerned with people's perceptions of him. He doesn't not talk to a licentious woman because of what the disciples would think about him. Right. Where we may think, well, I'm not going to hang out with these people or that person. Or what will, what will my tribe think about me if I'm having lunch or coffee with someone else from another tribe? Or what if we decided to try to work together on fixing a bigger justice issue? Mm-hmm. What right. will my tribe do? do a thing
0: right i think that is very like well what will the other people who are like me think of me uh and i i think that's a huge thing for us i think that's uh even to consider another view theologically or politically or anything uh what will the you know all the people think uh and i think one of the so one of the one of the principles i see throughout the life of jesus that i put in this sort of this motif of story is everything he does makes complete sense in light of the bigger story. He's connected to the bigger story. He's living out the bigger story within his life and the smaller stories. And I think to the extent that we're not connected to the bigger story, that doesn't make sense to us. Like what, like, you know, what's Jesus doing? Why is he talking to this woman? Mm. Uh like what's going on? Like disciples are clueless because they think they have an idea of the story they're in that and they're and they're wrong about it. Uh and I think that's one of like what does it mean f- from the perspective of the bigger story? How do I interpret whether or not do I, av- I avoid certain people, or whether or not I'm afraid of what people think, or because then there's in some sense where it makes sense that, yeah, people might people will think this or they might reject me or I might lose friendship or whatever that actually at some level makes certain sense in the story that we're in. But in the bigger story, uh, you know, I think I just have the sense we're going to look back at our life once we're more connected to the bigger story at the end of our life and think, yeah, I made a bunch of stupid decisions based on stuff that in the bigger story doesn't make a lot of sense. And I should have known better because I knew about the bigger story.
1: I don't know if any of that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I should have known better. And did I really live for things that were most important? And the measures that God measures that are valuable and important? And could I put minor differences aside? Or even can I work well with someone who I deeply disagree with? I mean, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't uh, acquiesce to the woman in the sense of what he says to her. Or teaches They have he engages in a theological conversation with her and dignifies her and. Uh, you know makes eye contact with her and all that but he doesn't um acquiesce theologically or his stance towards her so i think i I think jesus keeps that in mind you know i'm reading i'm doing a study on uh keller's the prodigal god did you ever Mm -hmm. study that i think so i read it i think a,
0: a while ago yes
1: well, it's 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 very in your face if you're uh, if you're in a church person, <laughs> if you've if you've been in the church and are part of the church, very in your face, uh, offensive because in the first chapter he he cites John four, but he he lists three different um, sections in the Gospels, and he basically asks the question who who walks away connected to Jesus, and so in Luke seven there is. Simon, the Pharisee having a party at his house mm-hmm. and the outcast woman from the city comes in and washes Jesus feet. And she lead. that that story is over and she's connected to Jesus and Simon, the Pharisee is not. And then John three, which we just looked at is Nicodemus. And then John four, right after that is now this outcast an immoral outcast. And Nicodemus seems to be very confused and the Samaritans come to Jesus. And then in Luke 19, you have Zacchaeus And the whole point is this all along, Jesus is attracting outsiders and confronting people who are very certain that they're insiders. And it's, it's, it's a bit scandalous because it, it, it shouldn't jostle us as Christians who've been Christians for a long time to say, well, what's going, what's really going on here? Um, if I don't identify with uh, the woman at the well or the woman washing Jesus' feet, then am I the one hosting the dinner party who can't handle the other party? Right, right, right.
0: I think that is that is sort of the scale, you know, that in a way the disciples are offended because Jesus' actions challenge them continuously and we, I think, are meant... To identify with or see ourselves in the disciples, mm-hmm. like what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think that's right. Where the people who end up hearing, and understanding, and responding to Jesus are often people who don't have an insider status, who don't who aren't insulated by, you know, uh, a smaller story they're living in that they have some sort of allegiance to. Um, and I think that's, you see that in this woman at the well, her smaller story is sort of obviously not working out awesome. That's right? And so she's much more open, uh, and, um, and becomes a, you know, uh, an apologist you know, an effective evangelist, if you will, based on her own life. Um, but I, you said something also that I want to, I want to come back to, because I think it's super interesting in that, Jesus doesn't completely he's respectful. Like Mm -hmm. you said, he looks her in the eye, he engages respectfully, but he doesn't feel the need to fake agreement or to, um, to kind of make like to sort of reassure her that, no, you're not completely wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he really, he's like, he disagrees with her and offers a countering view at virtually every point, and that's one of the things I think that she's responding to. That it's the combination of those two things. It's not because you believe differently, I'm going to disrespect and uh, you know reject you, and not because I you know I'm going to accept respect respect and accept you that I must agree that there's here's this respectful acceptance. This, this dignified uh, reception, and yet here's a truth, like here's grace and here's truth, mm-hmm. and they go together in one package. Uh, because and I just think that's something that I think we understand maybe intellectually, but it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that it's like we either have to show Rejection and condemnation to people, this group of people that's wrong and an enemy and dangerous. Or we need to accept them, which sort of implies we're going to agree with them and say, no, they're not that crazy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus combines acceptance and engagement with uh, challenging truth. Mm-hmm. It, somehow that's the, the combination of those two things is what this woman's responding to. He doesn't reassure her and say, you don't have to do anything different. Every, I understand you've had a difficult life and you don't need to change anything.
1: Right. He doesn't say that. Yeah. He, I think for me, the key uh, is 21 through 24 As you're referring to, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, so he's disagreeing with her, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation from the Jews. So it's now he's like, okay, here's your tribe, here's my tribe. Let me just tell you, your tribe is off on this and our tribe is on on this. But then he actually, to me, he transcends both. And then he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. So to me, he's he's now he's saying, It's not about you joining my tribe, and it's not about me joining your tribe or us agreeing on this. It's about a whole new tribe, a whole transcendence thing that's going on. And both of us are going to be asked to leave things about our tribe behind. And the Jews, like the disciples, are gonna have to to Look at 20 here at verse 23 and say, Oh, well, what do we have to leave behind? What do we have to die to? And she's invited to the same thing. To me, that's the answer of the tribal warfare. It's not, I got to go into your tribe because that's what love is, or you have to come over here because this is what truth is. It's there's a whole new thing going on, and we're both invited to leave our tribes behind. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah,
0: I think that's right. I think that's, um, it's 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 the it's kind of like well it's you think it's A, and you know my side and my side says it's B, and Jesus kind of says really neither slash both. It's like a whole another category of thing. Where is it this mountain or is it the other mountain? And Jesus says, now, I mean, <laughs> right? Now it's yeah. different. Now you can worship anywhere as long as you worship in spirit and truth. Um, it's like it's. It's not what you expected. Uh it's surprising and and it's good. It's good. I mean, it's not it's not bad news, right? It's it's good news. And, and that's, you know, when she, in verse twenty five, I she her mind is a little blown and she, you know, but I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain <laughs> everything to us. Yeah. And just kind of like, yeah, I don't know what it means either. But when the Messiah comes and Jesus says, you know, I am, I'm the one speak, to speaking to you. I'm he. Um, uh, And there, so there's this, again, I think this, I don't know, for me, am I open to the bigger story? Am I open to, you know, am I locked into this mountain or this mountain to worship? Um what is Jesus saying to me and how am I responding in the bigger story? Because that, you know, the woman obviously gets gets onto the bigger story. Half the town gets onto the bigger story. Uh, And who would have guessed it? You know, who would have, who would have known it? Um, I I just think that's so cool that um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't skip over any of the unpleasant parts or any of the parts where they're wrong or any parts that might decide the d- d- divide. He covers all of that and yet still invites them, them in because that's, you know, the other offensive part of the story is as Jesus is talking to her about some new truth, they get to a certain point and he says, it almost seems sort of gratuitous. Hey, go call your husband. Yeah. 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 You know, and. You know, Knowing she doesn't have, knowing that, like that's just, this is another part of the, her shame, and Jesus, is like before we go on, we got to cover this. Like, what is that about?
1: <laughs> yeah, to me, this is where, um, I don't know, lack of better words. He's he, he's he's done playing games. He's done with the the banter. It, it's been nice. It's been real. Let's engage in a theological, philosophical conversation. But there's something deeper and greater at stake, and that is you have a need, and you need forgiveness, and I can give mm-hmm. that. And you've been, you know, to, to I don't know if this was uh, intentional by Jesus and whatnot, but the metaphor for the well and living water and Himself and her thirst her thirst for something to satisfy her. And now this uh, Messiah is here and her spiritual thirst, which has been playing out in ways that have, um, have harmed her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think he, he, he goes into the spiritual need through the wound. And that's often um, how Jesus um, helps us understand our need for him. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's like they have this, this conversation at one level, That's about identity and theology and it's surprising and there's new ideas. And at some point Jesus says, okay, that part is there. We'll come back to it. But now we have to talk about your life.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. Like how does your life make fit in that? This is important, but it's important because it means something here deeper for you. Like what kind of worshiper are you?
0: Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and that is uh, it's like the payoff of this theology if your theology and identity doesn't intersect with your actual life then you're sort of missing something that's kind of what you know the payoff has to be some sort of personal encounter personal transformation instead of just you know some idea Um, and then so the disciples come back and then hey you should eat something Uh, you know, I have food you don't know about, uh, and, you know, my food, uh, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work and, you know, the fields are white into harvest and, uh, this sense of what, you know, I think there's like a priority statement that Jesus is making here about like, I'm living on mission. This is, this is what's occupying me right now. Like this missional, important transformational moment that's touching on eternity, that's impacting many lives, is happening <clears throat> right now. And like you guys don't, under, you don't you're missing it. Like you don't even get you don't see it. It's not like it's bad to eat or talk about food. It's like they just right. Like like yeah. they're missing the point.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, this right? Isn't this a story over and over again in the gospels? The disciples just they don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah. Did he forget to bring bread? Uh, oh, it's always, yes, uh, right. it always is around food. <laughs> yeah. Did somebody else give him food? Do the Pharisees like, make bad bread and we shouldn't eat that bread? <laughs> what is he talking about? Yeah. But I, but think, I think, yeah, it's, it's representative of, as it, as it often is with Jesus. It's not a, uh, this is bad. That's good. It's just representative of something deeper. And it's an opportunity to also confront and invite the disciples, um, to something deeper.
0: Right. And I do think that's the point that really that, <clears throat> that we need to wrestle with that. What is the something deeper in our life? Um, how often are we like the disciples who, you know, where spiritual things are happening, And, uh, you know, do we get it? Do we miss the point? Uh, do we, do we understand the point or are we focused on this spiritual thing that's happening? Uh, or are we just sort of doing our thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you look at it from the disciples point of view, they're on this journey. They're with Messiah. They got a place to go and a place to be and stuff to do. And they're just cutting through and nothing I mean, this woman in this town, if that's not part of this story and to them, and, you know, they've got a conception of what this is all about, uh, and Jesus has connecting it to the real story. And, you know, one of the things that kind of I, I think about in respect to this story and other stories is there's the spiritual reality that's sort of all around us and happening, spiritual transformation, spiritual understanding, worshiping in the spirit or not. And I just wonder if 82% of the time we sort of miss it. Mm-hmm. Like we just don't see it. We don't get it. Uh, and it's there to be seen or gotten maybe way more often than we think. Uh, I don't know what your, that's, that's an idea I have. I don't know what your response to that is.
1: I just have a question. What, like, what, why do we miss it? If God is everywhere, God's presence is everywhere, and God's at work, like we think the Bible teaches, and why, why do we miss it? <laughs> well, why do, yeah, why I mean, do I say, you should eat, because I'm eating, and that's important.
0: <laughs> right, just completely oblivious. Just completely oblivious. I, I, I don't know. I think there's that's a good question. I mean, probably as we are as we're thinking about it coming to the end of this, of this podcast is probably a question we ought to leave each other with for the week is why do I miss it? I think there's some, you know, there's probably some pretty accessible answers that we want to, that thinking of our lives in this, in this, the big story sort of way is a little bit scary. Maybe it's a little bit uncertain. It's a little bit, um, it's going to require faith and so on. Uh, and it's just easier to simplify my life to the smaller story and it just makes it easier to get through the day. It makes it easier to, you know, whatever, watch the news, understand things going on and sort of just focus on the task at hand, focus on the to-do list, focus on whatever got work to do, got stuff to do. And that's again, not bad. We shouldn't necessarily be hermits, but I think it's just easier. So I think it's scarier to focus on the big story or to kind of walk around with this sort of sensitivity to a bigger story. And I think it's easier uh, to, to kind of collapse our world down to what's known and what's comfortable. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, you know, I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. Uh, that's, that's easier than I'm not quite sure everything that's going on here. And I maybe need to think about something's happening here that I'm not aware of. Uh, I just think that's a lot harder. And I I just think, right. We, we respond to the world that's right in front of us at the world that we see. And I think we probably have to cultivate the ability to be sensitive to what's not seen. I don't know. That's a list of things, stream of consciousness that comes to mind to answer that question. What do you think?
1: Um, I think for me, I'm, confronted with the, I can probably relate to the disciples with, uh, okay, we're, we're traveling. We got to go from point A to point B, and we need to stop for food, and then we're going to get back on with the journey, right? And I think Jesus is better with the, what for me, what indicator of what you talked about that he is able to be aware is that he's better with the interruptions. And he's better with the change of plans, and I think it's easy. You know, I'm I'm in midlife right now. It's easy in middle life to start to get settled and start to get into the routine, and it slowly transitions into a rut. And so, how do you, you know, I used to ride uh, motorcycles in in the mountains growing up, and that's one of the. Tricks you're going to have to navigate, especially if it's rain and it dries out, is what do you do when you get in a rut? And uh, you have to ride it out or turn hard or stop. And, and I think it's easy for me because it's this comfort thing of, like, I, I need a routine. I need to get into my um, rhythm. But Jesus seemed to be very, very open. And studies have been shown uh, for scientists, it was, it was a few in the New York Times, about as we age, if we do, if we keep doing things... Um, that make us uncomfortable or that we're afraid of, or that we don't normally do, it actually continues to engage parts of our brain. Mm-hmm. But if we don't do those things, those parts of our brain slowly become unused. And so mm-hmm. uh, for me, that's that's kind of my stream of consciousness thought from this.
0: Yeah, I, that's a good, I mean, the, the interruptions thing is a good, that's probably a good thing to be like, what do I do with interruptions? How do I respond to interruptions unplanned? things bumps in the road because that's probably where i'm jostled enough or my world is jostled enough that i'm probably should be looking for the bigger story yeah uh and you know were they even really interruptions to jesus like what does that even mean interruptions to what Mm -hmm. interruptions to what i think should happen uh what interruptions to what i have planned or what i need to do uh and i do think i mean i you know, we all should have an expectation of what should happen. We need to do our jobs. We need to We all that stuff, but all that should exist within this bigger story. And it's almost like the interruptions are actually the connections to the bigger story or the doorways to the bigger story or the invitations to see the bigger story. Like without the interruptions, we're going to stay in the rut. Mm Uh, and we need some sort of jostling, uh, to remind ourselves, oh, there's something else going on here. Uh, and that's probably, you know, we can either respond as Jesus did or more like the disciples where this is just an interruption. We got, we're on our way somewhere. We need to eat. We need to get food. We need to eat. We need to keep going. Uh, you know, they got a destination. I know you're traveling. You probably have a destination. We I mean, need to get to so-and-so, by, you know, whatever. We got a hotel room in, in uh, you know, in Wichita. Um, and that sort of can can be how we live life and and I think the second way seems easier, but then we miss it, we miss mm-hmm. the bigger story. we mm-hmm. you know, we're not invited to all that stuff um so that's probably where we should leave. And I think that's a good uh that's a good thought uh to leave with is how do you what do you how do you think about interruptions? Uh, are the invitations? to see something from a different perspective, change of plan, interruptions in any sort of way, change in plan or whatever, Um, uh, you know, which might mean my plan A didn't work, how do I respond to that, all of that stuff. Um, Because those are the things in which Jesus might be moving, that the spirit might be moving in. Um, And so that's our invitation. Uh, You know, live in the bigger story, look for the bigger story, look for your your interruptions and your defeats and your missteps to maybe be invitations to see something bigger going on. Uh, And with that, uh, we'll leave you for another week. Grace and peace.
1: Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen
0: to podcasts.